This is Give Me Some Truth, a podcast from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Sky. I am Nate Condon in the booth today with Mitch, and we're going to be talking about Home improvements and home construction seems to be a popular conversation just about every month of the year nowadays and just about every season. Um, Both Mitch and I agree that we get these conversations that come up uh, regularly in our client meetings, and it just doesn't seem like uh, people have exhausted by any means their appetite for uh, either doing major improvements to their home or contemplating the idea of building a new home. Mitch, have you ever thought about building a house not seriously. I think someday, yes. You know, it's kind of one of those long-term, far out, not not very tangible yet type of goals. But I would say in this current phase for my wife and I, we were always just on the track of, of buying an existing starter home, which we did a few years ago. But at this point, we have no immediate plans to build our own home. And it's I would be very curious to see how you would be uh, as an engineer would you be able to hand the reins to somebody else? Would this would this be hard for you to to not be in there with your T square, like determining whether or not like the you Got know my the- protractor <laughs> measuring all the angles and yeah, I, I would you think I'd be an annoying client? I don't think so, but I, I I think you would you would I don't think your curiosity as an engineer, your desire to make sure that that the uh, the right angles were truly right angles. <laughs> I don't know that you'd be able to get past that uh, right. um, and, and just kind of let it roll. For something like that, it, it can be a stressful situation. So it's one of those where it's like, if I just stay out of it, that'll probably make it a little less stressful, quite sure. frankly. Right. Just let the professionals do their thing. I'm sure I studied in the College of Engineering for undergraduate, but at this point, it's like, let the professionals do their thing. <laughs> right. I trust them. Hopefully, I did my diligence on picking who I hired, right, but I'll let right. them do their thing. That's funny. Uh, no, so we, we thought that the um, the topic to, could, could definitely use a little bit more um, of, of, of our insight and, uh, and, and some advice and some um, things that we've learned over the years to hopefully help it uh, uh, be an easier process for our clients and the people that, that are listening to the podcast if they're contemplating going through this the, uh, the process of a major home improvement or, or building a house from scratch. Um, it, it's, it's stressful, but it, uh, it can be made easier if we keep our eye on the ball and, and avoid some mistakes. Yeah, and that seems to be a theme in our jobs, right? Is if we can get out in front of this and actually have somewhat of a plan or some tidbits that help form a plan, planning is key. That'll help take some of the stress out of it, like you said. But just wanted to reiterate that. So there's there's some common mistakes. So let's just start going through them. Nate, what is one of the most common mistakes that some people have made? Right. And and I'll answer this um, just so people understand a little bit. I'm, I'm sure the majority of people know my background, but just so everybody's kind of aware of my background here. And, and so there's some some level of credence to, to what we're saying here. Um, my father ran a construction company for... Um, better part of 20, 25 years in Southern Wisconsin, building homes in Janesville and Lake Geneva and Walworth and, and kind of all over, all over the place. And, uh, even since retiring and moving up to Minocqua, I don't know, 12 years ago now, 
Um, he's literally putting the final touches on a house that he bought, renovated, and now has on the market in Monaco, and he just turned 70. So to say it's in his blood, I think, is uh, is probably an understatement. So uh, I sold real estate for his company for the four years that I was in college, uh, as well as new construction projects. So I have some expertise when it comes to this area. Uh, no, I will not do your construction project for you. Uh, although I am doing the, the build out of our new space here in, um, in our office. For those that don't know, we're building out the, the last 650 square feet in our building. Um, as we're expanding as well. so And we did get get our gloves on and get our hands dirty a little bit at one point moving drywall. Yeah, it was funny because we it, it actually worked out pretty well because it, it allowed the uh, the guys here in the office to, to in a sense, uh, and in in, uh, in actuality, get their hands dirty in the project. So it actually, uh, it actually worked out pretty well. So, um, okay, mistake number one. Um, not having a solid handle on not only your personal budget, but also on the construction project numbers themselves. Um, I, I think it, it wasn't a stretch to to, uh, to think that the two numbers guys in the booth were not going to stray too far away from the topic of, of stats uh, in doing a podcast. And, and uh, I hope we haven't disappointed anybody that, um, you know, that the first mistake is, is centered around numbers. But um, it, it's really important, um, and it's not just important from the standpoint of, of understanding what a project is going to cost, but it's also important to understand what that project is going to do to your own personal budget, and as, as Mitch alluded to earlier, what it's going to do to your financial plan. So, you know, what do we mean by that? Well, if somebody's going to get into a project that's more than, um, you know, $25,000, $50,000, you know, into, into the, into the you know, $100,000 range or potentially building a new home, understanding what that new project and what, what that monthly payment is going to do to your ability to save toward college for kids, save towards retirement, or save toward the other goals that you have in your life is crucially important because, as we like to say in the office, you know, if, if you're going to pull one lever down, one lever has to go up. That's just kind of the nature of how, how the world of finance works. And so if we're going to dedicate an, an additional two or three or four or $5,000, excuse me, $100 per month to a new payment uh, for a project that we're doing, we probably should understand where that money is going to come from or at what expense that, uh, that, that uh, project is going to uh, um, kind of in the impact that that's going to have on our lives. And one thing that I'm thinking about too is the way that we approach it. Now, in these days of Instagram or maybe maybe Pinterest might be more appropriate for this talk. I've I've neither. But you look on Pinterest and there's this beautiful kitchen, let's mm-hmm. say, and it's the most immaculate, beautiful thing you've ever seen, right? And and you kind of go from, okay, I, I want the most ideal kitchen in the form of this picture that I saw online. And then you, after that you figure out, well, what does that cost? And I would make the argument, well, that's great. You, it, you have a, a vision of where you want to go, but it's just as important, I'd argue, potentially more important to figure out, okay, what what money or, or assets do I have that might be liquid that could go towards this goal? What is in my current bed, budget that I can start putting away towards some of these home improvements? And then kind of meet in the middle, right? You need to know what you want on the one side. That Maybe it's that picture on Pinterest. But then you also should <laughs> come from the other end and figure out, what cash is available, and how much additional money might we 
be able to put towards that. And I think it's all too common now to just see the the end game and not think about how you're actually going to navigate there. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it's the same reason why it's kind of a silly example, but it's the same reason why people say, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry, right? Why? Because you're going to buy way too much stuff and you're going to buy a whole bunch of stuff that you don't end up needing simply because at that hour of your grocery shopping, uh, you know, that task that you're completing, you're going at it in such a way where you want to buy everything. And I think the same thing applies when we're, as Mitch said, looking on Pinterest or watching some of the home improvement shows or, um, you know, looking in magazines. What we don't realize sometimes is that things that don't really seem like they're that big of a deal from a cost standpoint or from a, from a construction standpoint, in a lot of cases can be a really, really big deal. If we're talking about moving walls, if we're talking about opening up rooms, things like that, th- those are heavy, heavy cost projects. And so before we get our hearts set on what we want it to look like, let's make sure that our budget can handle it. And let's make sure that we're not doing it at the sacrifice of our 401k contribution or our uh, you know, 529 contribution that we might be making for college planning. Or said another way, let's understand how many more years it's going to mean that we have to work um, and put off a work option, a lifestyle, because we decided that we you know, fell in love with the $100,000 kitchen remodel before we realized what the impact that would have on our financial plan. All right. So let's say that we, we do have our budget. Mm-hmm. We know it's a kitchen remodel, let's say. And then we find on Google, we type in kitchen model, remodeler, Madison, Wisconsin. I click on the first link. I call them up. I get one quote and then I hire them, right? Or should we do more with getting bids. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good um, kind of a subset question to knowing your numbers is understanding the bid process and understanding the fact that one bid is almost as worthless as no bids in, a, in and of itself, right? Mitchell, a test to data points is being hugely important when it comes to um, kind of solidifying that, you know, the, the math that we used is correct, right? One data point doesn't tell us much of anything. Two tells us something because we compare the two together. Three really tends to, to start to solidify, um, you know, the, the data points that, that we are getting accurate information. And the same thing applies here. If you do not get a bid at all, uh, huge mistake. If you only get one bid on a major project, again, huge mistake. If we're getting two bids, three bids, maybe even four bids, depending on the scope of the project, uh, we're now getting some solid data. And now we're actually getting to a point where we're making a responsible decision on that project. Yes. And I've got an example when I was going through the process of getting bids for drain tile and a sump pump. So we bought a house that's 70 plus years old and there's never been sump pump or drain tile. And this was somewhat of a concern. We knew that we were in a lower area and and wanted to proactively get in front of that. And actually we got three quotes, three bids. And as we were distinguishing between the three, you could tell one was, turns out, uh, kind of the the low cost leader. Well, the one in the middle seemed to to get the the job done, so to speak. But then that third one, the higher end, you're going to pay more. But then you also realize, okay, well, there's a little bit more to the warranty and service and things like that and, and customer experience. So it's really a matter of, of then figuring out, okay, what's going to be the best for, for our needs. Then if we, we actually zoomed out and, and as you Madisonians know, there, there was a flood last the summer of 2018 and our home was impacted and we did not 
have those jobs done. So we did get water in, in the basement. Without going too far down that rabbit hole, we zoomed out before ever pulling the trigger on one of those bids and said, okay, long-term, what's the goal here? Long-term, what's the goal? And we figured out that long-term, our goal wasn't necessarily to be in that house. It wasn't to, to raise our family. We, we started to raise our family there, but it wasn't to have four kids in that house and bring them through high school or anything like that. Our plan is to be in the house only maybe a few more years. And once we started realizing that, my wife and I made the decision that we don't want to invest the six, seven grand that it would take to make those upgrades in the house. And we were willing to take that risk. And we did. And sure enough, we got water in the basement. But we did other things more cost effective, like raising everything on racks and protecting our, our stuff that way. So when we figured out, all right, long term, what is the goal for this house? Do we want to invest that money ourselves or really just punt that decision to the next homeowner? Yeah, that that uh, is a great lead in uh, to the next mistake, if you will. And that is uh, not having a good understand, good understanding, easy for me to say, uh, of the scope of your project. Um, you, your project was, was smaller in scale and, and it was easier because it was, you know, some pump and drain tile. So the, the scope of it, um, wasn't going to get out of hand, although, you know, you start working on foundation work and then it can get out of hand, you know, relatively quickly. But, um, this is for people that are, are doing home improvements or for people that are contemplating buying a new home or excuse me, building a new home, uh, understanding the scope of your project and not allowing your project to get what's referred to as scope creep. Or in other words, if I'm going to do this, then I might as well do this. Uh, is a lot of what we hear in the home improvement or home renovation or home addition uh, space. And what I he- used to hear a great deal in the new construction space, um, you know, when, when I was uh, selling those projects uh, in, uh, in college was, um, well, if we're going to build the house and it's going to be X number of square feet, uh, what if we put a patio on the back? What if we put a, uh, you know, screen and, screen and porch on it? What if we put a... Um, you know, this, this other addition, uh, what if we finish the lower level, uh, as part of the project? And what you could see is people in their minds were, were allowing this project that had a good kind of scope boundary assigned to it. They were just blowing right past that boundary and moving themselves right into an area of letting the project turn into something where a, they didn't no long, they knew they, they didn't any longer know their numbers, right? Because they knew their numbers on, on the first part of it, but now they've pushed it. So now they don't know their numbers. Now they're in un- unfamiliar ter- territory there. Clearly don't know what that's going to do to their budget. And finally, don't have a good understanding of what that's actually going to do to the value of the property when it's all said and done. If it's a $50,000 add-on to a new construction project or a $50,000 home improvement you're doing to your existing home, is it going to add a similar amount of value to your home when the dust settles or not? And I'm not saying that every project has to add dollar for dollar value, but if you're going to invest $50,000 in anything, let alone, you know, that number, maybe times 10, if you're building a house, uh, you really should understand what the value of that investment is going to be when it's all said and done. And a lot of our clients, we have this discussion in our, our meetings as they're contemplating doing a remodel, but the, some of the intangibles are so strong that they, they don't necessarily care that they get a, a return. And, and what I mean by that is they say that the, 
the value doesn't come from a dollar amount when the house is sold. Cause let's say they, they plan on dying in the house and the value from the remodel of enhancing that kitchen or the back porch might be in the form of the, the parties that they'd be able to host or having their family stay there and entertain. And the value isn't necessarily rated related to the home value at all. The value of that investment is what they get from maybe a social perspective, from a family perspective, from the, the things that they do in that new space. And, and that's a common discussion too. So it's not always just numbers, right? Me and my background is, is kind of a numbers guy, but there's the art of that whole intangible side as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's the blending of the objective and the subjective, as I like to say. It's blending the idea of what is this actually going to mean for us to dollar, dollar value uh, on our home investment when it's all said and done but then also balancing out what impact this is going to have on our lives um, for the better. You know, if it's a bigger kitchen, as Mitch, you know, gave a great example, you know, are we able to host more parties at our house and that's something we really enjoy? Is it adding another bathroom to our home so that we're not having to, you know, fight over one bathroom or two bathroom if it's a family of, you know, four or five or six people? And so there is a value that we don't generally associate with dollars and cents, and that can't be minimized by any means. It's the balancing of understanding the value of the dollars and cents to the value, you know, to, to the the uh, the investment, which is our home, and then also what is the subjective value that we're getting as well. A project should not be done unless it's checking both of those boxes for sure. And before we move to mistake number three here, I want to I want to slightly backtrack and make a link back to mistake number one. So. Mistake number two, we're talking about the scope of the project. And then mistake number one, we talked a little bit about getting bids and understanding your budget. Now, when you know the scope of your project and you're starting to get bids, one thing you want to make sure is that those bids are apples to apples. Because I've heard so many times where people say, this one bid was just completely Mm -hmm. out in left field. You know, Maybe I got two that were relatively close, then this other one was just insanely cheap which yeah. raised a red flag because they're like, okay, like what am I missing? Or super expensive right. where maybe the other two, like did we not account for something? So make sure that you're comparing apples to apples when you're going through the bids. And, I, and I'll tie mistake number one and two together there. When you're looking at bids, make sure that the scope is clearly defined so you can actually do a fair comparison between those. Yeah, so, that's a great call out. Scope isn't just your understanding of scope of a project in terms of what you want it to be in, in, and the, the final result, but scope also applies to the people giving you the bid, make sure that they understand the scope of your project and make sure that they are all bidding to that same set of specifications. Because if not, you're inevitably going to get three different numbers. Uh, if you get three bids and those three different numbers might not be comparable to one another, the whole point of getting multiple bids is to fix as many variables as you can so that all you are comparing is price. But if you're starting to move three or four different variables around per bid, well, you no longer have three comparable bids. You have three different people's opinion of the project. They're bidding out three different projects and giving you three different numbers. You, you've not really accomplished anything um, you know, in that way. Yes, and let's move on to mistake number three. Nate, what do we got for mistake number three here? So mistake number three has to do more with um, keeping your sanity, right? Um, these projects are stressful. These projects are, um, they require making a ton of decisions, both big, small, and, and in the middle. 
and these projects involve a lot of of kind of understanding of what is happening when it's happening. And I think that the the mistake number three that kind of ties all of these things together is time frame, or at least that's a that's a huge that's a huge piece to this. Making an incorrect or overly optimistic assumption on how long your project is going to take, it has to be, for at least from my experience, one of if not the biggest causes of stress in the entire project. There will be delays. There will be things that that are uh, that are missed. There will be mistakes made. There will be things that that are on back order, right? All of these things can and likely will happen even in the simplest construction project. And if we don't account for those by way of, of kind of mentally earmarking our time frame, we are going to have a very, very stressful building project. So my recommendation is if we're measuring a project in weeks, i.e. it's going to be done in four weeks, it'll be done in six weeks, just mentally tack on an extra week or two on the end of it. Just mentally yourself, if, if, the, if the contractor tells you it's going to be six weeks, just, just assume it's going to be eight weeks, right? If you're building a house and they're talking in terms of months, same idea, add one more month on whatever, whatever time frame they give you. If they tell you it's going to be done in four months, just pretend it's going to be done in five months. And hey, guess what? If it's done in four months, all the better, nice surprise, everybody's still happy, and it actually turned out to be a positive. If they tell you four months and mentally you're planning on four months and it turns into four months and one week, that's going to be a stressful week, let alone if it turns into five months. So be aware of what timeframes mean in the construction world. People are not trying to intentionally miss timeframes. It's just things happen when we, when we build big projects. So be aware of that. And if you want to protect yourself and the contractor is willing to go along with it, Put in into the contract what is the penalty if the project isn't done by when the contract says that it will be done. I mean, you can write those things into contracts, and I know that you know my builder friends out there are going to not be happy with me for saying this on a podcast, but you can put those things into contracts so that you are protecting yourself. So if it runs beyond what would be consi- what would be a uh, reasonable overrun of time, if it gets beyond that, you know, then there starts to be some financial penalties for that. Uh, that is a great way to protect yourself uh, so that you don't have a project that just turns into um, you know, a project that is measured in years. And I'll, I'll give an example. In the case of a new home construction, or maybe it's such a large remodel to an existing home where a family has to be displaced from that home during construction, if you have a time, fl- time frame, like Nate said, just plan on tacking a little bit extra on top of that time frame, because if if you're maybe you're in an apartment or living at a different home before you can actually get back to the home you're remodeling or the new home that's being constructed, you don't want to play too tightly with those time frames because all of a sudden it's like oh it's the end of the month and I need to be out of this apartment and my new home is not done. <laughs> those are situations you want right. to avoid, right? So just plan on that because that might affect. Your, your living situation temporarily while you're going through a remodel or, or a new home construction as well. And even timeframes down to, you know, financing timeframes. And, um, you know, if you need to take money out of your investments, you know, make sure you give your financial advisors enough time to be able to make that happen and to be able to work with your, your, your mortgage people to be able to get everything 
you know, synced up the way it needs to. Um, you know, Clint had a had a pretty rough experience when he moved into his new home uh, with the mortgage company that he ended up going with um, because the timeframes got sideways and and it just it 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 went bad. And so these things can happen. And so you know, be realistic on your timeframes. Don't waste time either by putting yourself in a position where um, you know you're 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 just forcing things too tightly into timeframes that don't need to be forced into in into those uh into those parameters so those are three i i put to the uh put feet to the fire i could probably come up with a dozen more mistakes that you want to try to avoid but to me um when we were workshopping the the idea for the podcast these three kind of jumped out to me as as the ones that at least just in my experience of working with people and in conversations that i've that i've obviously had with my father um you know, we'll just hit them one more time, not having a solid handle on your budget numbers and, and the, cr- the construction project numbers, um, not having a good understanding of the scope of the project, and finally having an incorrect or, or more importantly, an overly optimistic assumption on what the time frame is going to be to complete that project. If you can avoid those three mistakes, you're, you have a much, much better chance of having a, an enjoyable um, you know, building project uh, if we if we make one or um, worst case scenario all three of those mistakes, uh, you're going to have a very a very stressful and um, a project that's not going to want to make you have another one in, in your lifetime, and that's just not a spot you want to be in. So. If you want more information on this topic, by all means, reach out to us, send us an email, give us a phone call. Um, We have more resources that we can get to people. So if you're interested, let us know. We'd be more than happy to have those conversations. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. Ask the masses for silence. Look more dead in the eye. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.